0: Hey, a lot of times we make a big deal about the volunteers in this church that make things happen. Uh, They are such wonderful, wonderful servants of God and servants of us, and it's phenomenal. But today I want to take a few minutes and acknowledge another group of people in our church. In fact, it represents a lot of you, and it is the folks in our church who work in a school context. Um, These are the folks who give hours and hours and hours of their time to serve our children outside of this context, outside of the home, and yet in a place where they spend several hours. These are dedicated men and women, and they love our kids. And if they're in this church, they have an understanding, and if they've been here any length of time at all, that their job isn't just a job. It's a vocation given to them from God, and they can... Teach those kids as unto the Lord. That is, they can do this with a certain amount of excellence and a certain eye towards ministry and for the deeper things that God wants to do. Even if the environment doesn't allow for the full expression of that, they can love that kid just as if Jesus himself were there. So if you in this church work in a school context, you're a teacher, school administrator, bus driver, whatever, would you please stand right where you are? We want to acknowledge you for a minute. Go ahead, guys. There are several of you. Let's give these folks a hand. Keep standing. We have a gift for you that's coming around right now. We have a gift for you. We have um, $25 from United Art and Education Supply. That's located just north of 275 at the Mason uh, exit there on State Route 42. Just keep standing until you get one of those cards. They're going to help you. We want you to know how much we appreciate you. And in just a moment, when they get done passing these things out, several folks here in the front, when they get done passing this stuff out, we want to pray for you. We know that your school year has begun, and with things like busing and passing out lockers and getting supplies to your kids and dealing with parents, dealing with scared parents like Jill and I were each time our kids began school, can be a bit hectic. And we want you to know that we stand with you. We support you. We're proud of you. And we think that God will come alongside you if you'll open your heart and let Him. He'll come alongside you, and this might be your best year ever. So folks, would you do this? Would you bow with me? And let's pray for these folks today. Oh, God, thank you so much for people outside of the home who love our kids. God, as a parent in this room, I just want to say to you, thank you. Thank you for the folks in this room who have committed their lives, who give hours upon hours, who give their heart and their emotion, who give their minds to the task of developing our kids kids that you've gifted us with, kids that you've put unbelievable potential in, kids that have an unbelievable path laid out for them because you, God, have a plan for them. And you bring people like this into their lives to help guide, direct, correct, encourage. God, our prayer is for each teacher, each administrator, each person who works with our kids, encounters them in the cafeteria or on a school bus, God, that your hand would be upon them this year, that you would give them great favor that you would give them unbelievable wisdom, that you would pour out blessing, that they would be surrounded by a group of encouraging parents who would speak life into them and encouragement and love and appreciation. That God, you would use these folks to train up our kids, that they would learn how to do addition and multiplication, and they'd learn about history, and they'd understand the sciences and the languages. But God, at the end of the day, they would see in these people a heart that is different. A heart that has a love and a compassion. Though the environment may not always allow that to be expressed fully, that would come shining through. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Guys, we really do appreciate you. Teachers have made a profound effect on my life. There were two environments outside of my home that shaped me more than anything else. It was my school and it was my church. And uh, those two things sometimes in our modern culture seems to be at odds with each other. This doesn't have to be. Um, People all over uh, human history have understood that the folks who have the task of educating our kids have a profound task that they don't just transmit information, that pieces of their very soul get transmitted. You can't spend that much time with somebody without having a profound impact. I want to talk with you today uh, in in a special way, because while we're having service in here, right across the big aisle out in in the hallway there, this is the East Theater, now we're calling it. That is the West Theater. Pastor Nate is talking with your students. If you have students in middle school and high school, that's where most of them are right now. And he has his volunteers over there and some of the parents You want to see what happens on a typical uh, the well night that happens on Tuesday nights once a month. But we're giving kind of a preview over there in the uh, West Auditorium. And he's talking with your kids right now. Just give you a little idea. Parents, if you have a kid over there, Uh, he's talking with your kids right now about the story in the Bible from Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. Many of you know this story. If not, it's one of those central stories in our Bible that Christians rally around because in it we see so many powerful things. It's like an onion, multi layered with profound truths. And Pastor Nate is trying to get our students to help uh, them understand something about the father's nature, the father in the story who waited with bated breath on his child who was wayward, going his own way to come home. That father's heart that's always waiting, that's always open, that doesn't have a judgmental word, but has a loving and open heart and loving and open arms. And he's trying to help them understand something about the older brother, who on the outside looked like he had it all together. But instead of that bringing in him a humility and a compassion, what was going on instead is it breeded in him a judgmentalism. It breeded in him closed-heartedness. And he looked at his younger brother, and without any sense of pity or humility, he was very judgmental and condescending. And Pastor Nate's trying to get our students to understand something about the younger brother that one day decided he would step outside of the father's protection and outside of the father's overview, believing that he was stepping outside of all the father's influence, but not understanding at all that he could never step outside the father's love, and he went his own way. And one day when things got really bad, the Bible says he came to his senses and he made his way back home. And there he met his dad. Now, Well, Pastor Nate's talking to your children, to your students, if you have them. If not, this is our church family. They are our spiritual nieces and nephews about those issues. I want to take us to a corollary issue. In fact, we're going to look at some of the same passages there in Luke chapter 15 by the time we get to the end. But I want us to look not just at the story of those three characters. I want us to look today at something that's pretty profound. I've had a lot of time to think over the last 10 days or so. I've had a bit of a medical challenge, and it's made me feel my age. I, I feel all every bit of 29 years old today. I feel my age. I, I, it made me feel a bit helpless. I have fallen in love with my wife all over again. She is a dear-hearted servant. Many of you know Jill, my first wife, right over here, don't you? That's a terrible joke. Every time I say that, I get, I get grown. But, she, I've fallen in love with her all over again, and I've had all kinds of time to look at the scriptures. I've had all kinds of time to look at all kinds of dynamics in my house. I haven't been able to do much of anything else but go to the bathroom and think a lot and take medication and have sometimes strange and odd thoughts. And if by chance I run across one of those in my notes, I will try to filter it on the fly. It's amazing what medication will do for you. But I've had a lot of time to think about this concept. if you follow me on Twitter or on my Facebook, I, I put it on there this week. And it comes to us from the Bible, the book of Proverbs. And I'll read it for you in just a moment. But the idea is this. Your heart is very important. At the center of the story of the prodigal son are two sons with heart issues. They had heart disease. And the father wanted nothing more than for his sons to not just get life right. He wanted nothing more than for his sons to get the issues of the heart right. In fact, the father in the story of the prodigal son, he represents clearly our Heavenly Father. And while your Heavenly Father has an opinion about the way you live life and every single decision you make and who you do life with and where you spend your time and your money and who you connect with and how you connect, he has all kinds of opinions about that. Many of those are recorded for us in the Bible. What he's most concerned about today and tomorrow and for the rest of your life is the quality of your heart. It's the most important thing. It's not a new idea for God. All the way back in your Bible, in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 4, there's this verse that reads this way. Above all things, above everything else, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. Out of your heart flows all of life. Every issue of life, every decision, every turn, every movement, every interaction is guided, is directed by your heart. And so the wise people of the Old Testament, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, both in its writing and its recording, it is preserved for us this way. Above all else, guide your heart. And I knew that Pastor Nate would be talking to our students today, and I wanted to talk to us as their extended family. For some of you, it's the exact family. It's the physical, earthly family. But in a spiritual sense, those are our kids over there. And I wanted to talk to you today kind of as if it's okay a little bit, if you'll let me do this for just 25 minutes or so, as, as a dad, um, as a spiritual father for just a few minutes to encourage all of my brothers and sisters here in this room, our hearts towards our children in that other room. And not just in the West Theater, but in all of these side theaters down through here where loving people are pouring in and have carved out time to pour into our kids, even if they're not yours. You may not know this. The Bible has said that we are knit together like a family. We're called brothers and sisters. And we do this life in Jesus together. We do. And it makes a big difference. The quality of our heart makes a big difference in how we do this life together. I'm a dad. I have four kids. My oldest, my oldest child, my only daughter, just went to college. I've got to change subjects quickly because I will burst into spontaneous tears. It's happened for the last month or so. It's gotten me to reflect on all kinds of things. I have read countless parenting books. I don't know if that makes you a better parent, but I know it has this effect at least. It shows you just how dumb and stupid and bad you can be. When you read parenting books, I mean, I think sometimes the authors of these parenting books have the express purpose, or at least it's the effect it has on me, of trying to make me realize just how much I don't have it together. Sometimes I'll pull a nugget or two out. I'm not at all uh, degrading the idea of trying to study and make yourself a better parent, but when I read the Bible the book that contains practical wisdom from life, the book that shows us God's heart. When I read the Bible and I look at parenting, I don't find a lot of great parenting examples in the Bible. I'm not going to lie. When you go all the way back to the first few pages of your Bible, there's Noah. Noah allowed alcohol to cause him to show his butt to his kids. Literally, and metaphorically, but literally. He's not, not a good parent. I mean, it messed him up. You you, you just turn a few pages. You get to chapter 12 in Genesis, and you get introduced to a guy named Abraham. He had some major dysfunction in his family. And he passed it on to his kids, Isaac. And Isaac passed it on to his kid, Jacob. Jacob's name means deceiver. And he had 12 kids. And if there was ever a dysfunctional family, as you read their story, I'm telling you, friends, you read your Bible, you don't get a lot of pictures in the Bible of great parenting. Rebecca schemed with her son to deceive her husband. Jacob's son sold their brother into slavery. David had an affair and his son started a rebellion. Eli, the priest of the temple, lost control of how his boys acted in church and it cost him his position. Now, the Bible is replete with stories of parents who don't get it exactly right. And I gotta tell you, that's enjoyable reading for me. It makes me feel so much better. It's like when I watch reality television. I really enjoy watching those people make you know, bums of themselves, making idiots of themselves, because I just feel better about myself. And when you read the Bible, here's one of the reasons why I know it's true, at least it lends credibility, is because it doesn't take its heroes and paint them in a perfect bubble, in a perfect picture, where everything they do and everything they say sounds like somebody scripted it for them. No, it records real life, real human beings, a large family, as it were, going through life. In comparison to the Bible, my parents were almost perfect, honestly, they were incredible. Has it ever occurred to you that maybe God put the pictures of the families in the Bible in there to encourage all of us? Those of us that have real kids and those of us that have a larger extended family in various parts of this building right now. Maybe God put those people in the Bible and their stories recorded exactly as it happened so that we would be encouraged because these people, though they were failed and failing and messed up, God often worked in their families in grace and power to do remarkable things. He did. He redeemed so much junk, so much that the enemy meant for evil. God pulled, worked, redeemed, remolded, and made it something beautiful. It's exactly what needs to happen in your home and mine on a daily, if not weekly, basis. It's exactly what needs to happen in a church, grace and mercy being dispensed regularly. It pulls us back to a central issue. It pulls us back to a story of a God, a loving Father that poured His heart into His family, His kids, us, and he laid out for us regulations and guidelines that show his, his wisdom, and we're fools if we reject it. I mean, it's only gonna hurt us. But more than that, he gave us a picture of a dad who doesn't give up, and of a mom who cares consistently. The Bible describes God in one way, and it almost sounds funny, as a as a mother hen covering her chicks. God broods over us, pulls us in, covers us over. It gives us a picture, sets for us a standard that causes us to ask a basic question that I want to ask you today. It's a question that gets to the root of all the issues that are going on in your family. All the issues going on in your home. It gets to the root of all the issues going on anywhere in your life, and it's this simple question. How is your heart today? Really? Last week, I sat in this room right, right over there. I, I wasn't feeling well, I'm not going to lie. I, I actually pulled a, uh, a kind of an internal struggle. I, I, I was wondering, you know, I have a great excuse. I was thinking not to go to church today. Then I caught myself. And I was like, whoa, I'm just like church people. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was crazy. Like, you know, like even this morning, I'm like, it's a holiday. If I wasn't speaking, I don't know. It's, you know, rained all night. I have great reason not to come. Thank you for coming today. <laughs> But I remember thinking, I have great reason. And I almost talked myself out of coming, but I thought, you know, I need to get up. I need to support. I need to encourage. It's exactly what I'd want. The people in our church, to just, I got up. I came over I sat over there. And man, the worship just pulled me in as, as we began to sing about our great God. And I felt my heart softening up a little bit. I didn't have a hard heart, but I just wasn't ready, you know? And I felt my heart getting, getting ready without me even realizing. And I was just kind of pulled in. I found myself just, spontaneously thing, saying things to God as we were singing. I kind of stopped singing the words on the screen and just kind of said to God, you know, I, I love you. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for my, for my family. Thank you for my wife. And I felt overcome with gratitude. And then Greg got up here and he shared with this congregation a powerful message. I felt like direct from the throne of God. If you weren't here, you need to go online and listen to it. And he talked about the issue of our hearts. And it got me thinking. In fact, All that I'm really saying today just kind of comes from the overflow of my interactions with that message all week long. Because honestly, I didn't have much better to do in terms of what I could do physically and emotionally. But beyond that, I didn't have much better to do because I felt God doing some real heart surgery on me. I've been reflecting on this idea of my kids leaving, knowing that Pastor Nate was going to speak today. And it just got me realizing more than anything else, Four Corners. That the thing God is most concerned about more than anything else is our hearts. And sometimes we don't realize that our hearts are wrong, that our hearts are failing, that our hearts are broken until we begin to see the effects of it. Many of you have heard of Hannah Montana, haven't you? Miley Cyrus. Well, she's had some problems in her family recently. And and somewhere about the middle of February, her dad came out and began to talk about it. And he said, in effect, that what he had hoped was is by putting his daughter in the middle of stardom, in the middle of Hollywood, what he'd be able to do is put together some, I don't know, positive, friendly, encouraging messages, wholesome values that kids everywhere could watch and enjoy. And he thought that that would be a good thing. Just before they started out on this journey, his whole family gathered at their church and they all got rebaptized just as an effect to kind of dedicate their hearts to God and to keep away evil is the way he described it. And he said that something happened along the way. You can read about this. Just kind of search, you know, Billy Ray Cyrus and avoid all the achy, breaky heartwinds and get down to the one about, about parenting. And here's what he says. He says, I should have been a better parent. He says, listen, he says, I should have said enough is enough. It's getting dangerous and somebody's going to get hurt. I should have, but I didn't. Honestly, I didn't know the ball was out of bounds. Until it was way up in the stands somewhere. I think this is every parent's nightmare. That somehow life is going to happen. And we're going to interact with our kids, our spiritual kids, or our real kids, or our, our earthly families, or our spiritual family. And we're going to come to the end of it and not realize that we've been playing ball and the ball has been out of bounds up in the stands somewhere. That happens all the time. You've seen it, I've seen it, I've been a participant in it. And I think that what God has drilled down on me this week has been, and what Pastor Nate is trying to get your kids to understand today, is it's not your experience, your knowledge, or your skills that is the most important thing you have. We forget that. Sometimes we look at extremely talented people or extremely intelligent people or extremely skillful people, and we think, man, they got it all together. They're extremely popular people, fawn after them. They they Twitter their ideas. And the Bible brings us back to a simple message that above everything else, your heart matters because it is the wellspring of life. It's not your experienced parents that matters most of all. I'm telling you, some of you in this room, you're amazing parents. Jill and I talk about you, and we dream one day to be you. And I'm not even making fun. We're like, they got it together. Some of you, you know you're not as, you know, a good parent. You're like, man, why can't that come? Na- it seems like it comes natural to them. And why can't I? And some of you, you're so smart. I am fortunate to be surrounded by a group of smart men and women. And anything good connected to this church, even though I may get credit for it, don't let it fool you. I'm not that smart. There are smart men and women who speak into the, and I am blown away by their knowledge base. And some of you have remarkable skills in, in artistry or in, in speaking and in leading and doing car work or building houses or whatever it is. But I want to remind you today that it is not your experience, your knowledge, or your skills. It's not the relationship you have or don't have that matters most of all. It's not the job you have or had or want. It's not what people think about you. It's not what you would like to project about yourself that matters most of all. Your heart matters most of all. It is the wellspring of life, Proverbs 4.23 tells us. It was the fundamental problem at work in that home described in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. Two sons... Grew up in a home. It happens, it happens, it happens. With evidently a pretty good father. And their hearts didn't quite connect right. There was a blockage, there was a problem. I want to talk to you about why your heart is so important for just a few minutes. I want us to linger in the moment of last week. I have a fear as a pastor. As a dad, I've observed it in my kids. As a human being, I've observed it myself. As a pastor, I've certainly observed it in church. And that is this cathartic effect that happens sometimes when God moves in a powerful way. It's a powerfully good thing on the one hand. We have a sense that God visited us, that we had a special breakthrough, that we heard God speak, that we had a moment of insight. We had a flash of clarity. Our our heart was laid bare and it was illuminated for a moment and we got a sense of what we needed to do. We got a sense of who God was calling us to be. It's powerful. We leave changed. Our hearts are lifted. Our emotions are moved. The weight is taken off of our shoulder. It's extremely cathartic. The challenge, on the other hand, is sometimes we think, or at least it appears to me, maybe in my own life, that we get the sense that the cathartic effect is really what God intended. That what God wanted to do is simply lift our spirits, give us insight, direct or corral us. And I want to let you know that while God is interested in lifting our spirits, if you came in today heavy-hearted, turn to God. He is the lifter of our heads. He is. He's the one who turns our eyes from downtrodden to... Looking up and looking out. While God wants to direct our lives and corral us, what he really wants to do is reach in and begin to work here because your heart is extremely valuable. And it gets bumped around and bruised in this life. Sometimes it gets bumped around and bruised because of things that have happened to you. Sometimes it gets bumped around and bruised because of choices you make. Sometimes it gets so bumped and so bruised that I think we forget just how important it is. Every Monday night, my family goes through a ritual. We gather up all the trash in the house. We put it in the little receptacles out by the driveway and we march it down to the end of the driveway. It contains remnants of our life from the previous week unless we forgot to take the trash out from the previous two weeks, which has happened many times in our house. We don't, by the way, post a guard in the garage to make sure that nobody disturbs our trash. We don't, you know, watch with bated breath and hope for the moment that the garbage truck comes and picks up this trash and carries this valuable thing to where, no, it's trash. It doesn't matter. We don't watch it. It sits out at night, all completely unguarded. Why? Because it's worthless. I'm afraid sometimes that we treat our hearts the same way. And what God wants us to remember is that that we need to make it a top priority. We need to set sentinels in place. We need to put watchdogs on alert because above all else, our hearts matter. It's a top priority. And we can be lulled into thinking that because our hearts were strangely moved in a moment or two, that something profound has occurred. And on the one hand, it has But God's engagement of your heart was never meant to be a momentary thing. It was meant to be an ongoing, forward happening, daily walk with him in a way that keeps our hearts within the guardrails. That's why Solomon says, above all else, guard your hearts. Here's why he says it. Because your heart is the source of all that you do. The Bible says, listen to this. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. If you took an inventory of your words for the last 30 days, it would be over time, maybe not in any one instance, you can hide it for a moment, but over time, your words become an accurate reflection of what's going on inside your heart. So I ask you again, how is your heart today? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible says that the heart can become extremely deceived making us think that we're all okay. And if we don't take careful inventory here and there, we don't let God reveal to us what we need to know. So the Bible reminds us in the New Testament that God is greater than our hearts. It's why sometimes it bothers me, although I think people mean well when they say, let your heart guide you. Let God guide your heart And then let your heart guide you is the point I'm trying to get at today. Out of your heart comes everything. It's like a a deep well out of which the spring of your life happens. You put pollutants in the spring. Guess what happens to everything downstream? They get touched by those pollutants. You you dam it up. Everything downstream is, is hindered. Likewise, if your heart isn't soft and pliable to God things. It messes up everything. You know, the problem isn't the problem in your marriage, most likely. Oh, that's where you feel the tension, isn't it? The problem isn't your wayward child. These are, at the core, heart issues. God wants to come alongside of us. The reason why some of us in the room feel so much pain at rejection isn't simply because God made us to be knit together and to be in community. It's because our heart priorities are out of alignment sometimes. The reason why some of us feel so much personal loss when we don't hit the goal, make the achievement, cross the line, isn't because God simply wired us to achieve, although he has. It's because our priorities are out of alignment. The reason why men in their 40s begin to unbutton their shirts and wear gold chains and let that gray hair pop out Isn't because they're really young and hip and cool. It's because heart priorities are out of line. We got to guard our hearts because our hearts are extremely valuable. We have to guard our hearts because our our hearts are the wellspring of all of life. Listen to me, church. We have to guard our hearts because our hearts are constantly under attack. Sometimes I ask my kids, How are you doing? I've been talking to my daughter. We've been learning the joy of of texting. Um, I've been learning. She's been fine, and I'm learning that you know, trying to hit her at her, you know, right where she is, and it's all good. And she like me. She doesn't really like to talk on the phone. And so, are you okay? And she she knows me. She knows that what I'm really asking is how you doing. And I mean so much more than just simply, are you okay? But can I tell you, as I've drilled down because I've had some time to pause this week, what I'm really asking is this, honey. Ellen, how's your heart doing? I want her to know that her heart is going to be under constant attack. It's one of the things I want her to understand about this world. I don't want to make her frightful or afraid because the God we serve is greater than any. Any force in this world, the forces that harm and attack our hearts, God is great. I don't want to be afraid, but I want her to know that she has to be careful with her heart. She can't be careless. She can't be cavalier. It's one of the values I want every kid in this church to understand. It's one of the values, if I can just be honest, to you, my brothers and sisters, it's something we've got to take very seriously because our hearts are constantly under attack. There is an enemy of your soul, and he is against God, and he's against anywhere that God shows up. He's against churches, he's against families, he's against marriages, he's against schools, he's in your classroom, and he doesn't want any God stuff to happen. His whole identity is consumed with holding back God stuff. We're in a battle, friends, and it moves us to be serious, to not just have moments of deep reflection and feel a release, but to linger long enough to let God show us where we need, where we specifically need the tweaking. We're asking the questions over this series, why? Greg asked you, why does God want my money? Nate's talking to your kids about, why should I treat people the way God would like me to treat them? I want to get down to the root of all those issues. And it's an issue of the heart. Let me ask you five or six clarifying questions, and then I'll close. Is everything okay in your heart today? I don't want you to do what my kids do when I ask that question. You know, how'd school go today? Are you okay? Yeah, fine. Eh? So let me just ask you this, these few clarifying questions. Today, right, like right now, are you mad at anyone at all? I mean, is there the Bible would define it this way, and, and the words might sting just a little bit. Is there at all a root of bitterness? in you? Have you allowed a hurt, something that happened on the outside to get internalized and harden your heart? Are you mad at anybody today? Are you waiting around for somebody to come to you to make something right? I mean, do you play the scenario in your head where they finally apologize, say the words? That's normal. It's also evidence that maybe there's some unguardedness, some woundedness in your heart? Have you had any extended imaginary conversations with anybody lately? I'm susceptible to this. Jill will catch me talking to myself a lot, and I let her believe that because really I'm not talking to myself. I'm usually chewing somebody out. It just comes out. I'm, I'm, I'm not even kidding. You know what that is? That's an evidence that my heart is a little unguarded. And I say things that I would like to say. and I need therapy, friends, clearly. <laughs> I know I'm not the only one, but have you had any extended imaginary conversations with anybody? Maybe somebody who's passed and you couldn't even have a real conversation with them. Here's the one that got me this week. Do things come out of your mouth on a regular basis that you have to apologize later for? It's like you can't control yourself. Are you like me and do you excuse it as an in the moment kind of thing? And you don't really wanna accept the truth that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? Have you secretly celebrated somebody's failure? Is there anything going on in your life that deep down you pray, you hope that no one discovers? We have a saying on our staff that where there's hiddenness, Sin is likely to be found. Are there some questions that you hope no one ever asks you? Have you recently lied to someone that you love? I could keep going. But I wanted us to dig down for just a moment and get past the simple, how is your heart? We have to guide our hearts, friends. We have to take this seriously. It has to be done daily. David said when he wrote in the Psalms that he has to come regularly to the sanctuary of God for the covering and for the inspection. That's why we want you to come to church. That's why I want you to get in a small group. That's why I want you to serve. That's why I want you to love your wife. So I want you to love your husband. It's why I want us as the collective family of God to model soft-heartedness before God for our kids. I want them to know that deep down we love them, but that we love God more and we let that wash over our lives and build a fence around our hearts and protect us from the fiery darts of the enemy, the way the Bible describes them, extinguishing his flame so that our hearts stay soft and pliable before God. How's your heart today? Here's why we have to do that, guys. Because if not, we will simply be like a thermometer in the world. We will be reading the emotion. We'll be experiencing life. when what God has called us to do is not be a thermometer. He's called us to be a thermostat, where we actually begin to set the temperature of an environment, where we don't just experience what happens with our kids. We begin to have ongoing influence, deep, profound influence in their lives. God doesn't want us to simply be experiencing life and reserving hurts. He has called us to something more. He hasn't just called us to eternal life. He's called us to a better life. And it begins with your heart. This is what he's been teaching to me. I got a glimpse of his heart for me. In Luke 15, the words behind me on the screen, here's what it says. While he was still a long way off, the younger son on his way home, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to his father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and listen to the heart of this dad. It's the heart of our heavenly father towards us. It's the kind of heart he wants to build in us. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe And put it on him. No second-rate stuff for my child. Bring a ring on his finger, the family signet ring. You're part of us. Put sandals on his feet, a sign of royalty and privilege. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. So they began to celebrate. How's your heart today? How's your heart with God? How's your heart with the family he's put you in and the relationships you're in? How's your heart with his bride, the church? Where does God need to do some work? I put together some next steps for us. So inside of your offering envelope, there was a connect card. You probably filled out the front already. Why don't you grab that out? I wonder if there's anybody that would say with me, next step A. It's the effect that God wants to do if he can do the cause in us, get our hearts soft and pliable and keep them there. I want to be more of a thermostat in the spheres of influence God has placed me in. I want to be more of a thermostat. I'm tired of just riding the wave of life. I'm tired of just letting it happen. I want God to get my heart in a place and create in me the ability to have influence on the world around me, his influence shining through me. I wonder if there's anybody that would say on a practical level, here's what it's going to take. I'm going to do a better job of building some God time into my fall calendar. If that's you, let me tell you, we have small group signups coming up. It always takes some time to carve out. We're doing a profound, deep, heart-moving spiritual campaign as a church this fall through a book called Crazy Love. I encourage you, get in a group, study that book together, and let God do some work work on your heart and keep you in the place where your heart stays soft. Next step C, there's some folks in this room who need to go public with their faith and get baptized. We're doing that on Sunday, October 2nd. And you can just check the box and we'll send you all the information. It's something I'm deeply, deeply excited about. We have this thing called Project Seven. It's our seventh anniversary, it's coming up. This church has been an amazing ride and we're having Project Seven to celebrate all that God's done and kick off a new season of our church. We're asking you to invite some friends to be here. Seven of them would be ideal. And a few of those that you invite will come. If you're willing to invite some friends to Project 7, check the box and we'll send you some tools to equip you to do that. Right now, we're gonna pray to our awesome God and we're gonna ask him to soften our hearts and keep our hearts soft and pliable and show us where he needs to work. Lord Jesus. God, I'm blown away by your heart for me. I was reminded of that this week. God, what you began on Sunday, I felt that for myself and for our church, we just needed to linger there. God, help us to put down deep the truth that out of our hearts, everything else flows. God, let us be honest, brutally honest with the facts of our lives and not let our hearts deceive us. God, you who are the spirit of truth, shine your light into the dark places and do your work. We pray it in the powerful and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen.